um, we get an eye in on uh, Jesus coming to, uh, to a man who was born blind. Never saw his whole life. From the moment he was born, he only knew darkness and blindness. That is something that we kind of have to get the ethos of this passage. We kind of have to get the feel of it and get our minds right, if it were, before we just jump in and read. Because we kind of read it detached from it, not understanding how hard this would have been, and yet how glorious and joyful it would have been um, when Jesus comes uh, by this man who had known nothing except for blindness. So uh, let's give our attention there. It's a long passage. It's a story. I'm not going to go through it nearly as in detail as, um, as could be done. Uh, that would take hours. So let's just read it. Read it as a story. It's what it is. Uh, it's a true story, but nonetheless it is a story. So let's read it. Uh, 9-1 through verse 41. It says, and he, As he, Jesus, passed by, uh, he saw a, blind, uh, a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not this man, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work while, uh, work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go. Wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed, and he came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him uh, how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes, and I, washed, and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him, since he has opened your eyes? He said, He is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight. Uh, until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know. Nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age. He will speak for himself. You see, his parents said these things because they feared the Jews For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ or the Messiah, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, He is of age, ask him. So for the second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, 
What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has not we know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I might believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, We see, your guilt remains. Let's pray and ask God to bless this time. God, we do uh, pray and ask for you to bless uh, the reading of your word. And now the preaching, I would pray that you would send your spirit that the eyes of our height, of our hearts might be opened. We might receive what is true. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for your son uh, who came and did these miraculous things and still does things uh, today. I pray that he would come now. Uh, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. Um, before we get going, I want to kind of give those disclaimers. I, my former campus minister at OU with RUF, uh, he preached a sermon on John 9, and I kind of read through his stuff and I'm borrowing from him pretty heavily in this because it was pretty good. Um, and he, he really helped me figure out how to break up 40 verses into something that wouldn't take two hours. So um, the way we're going to do this tonight is we're going to look at four questions that are driving throughout this passage. Okay, there are four, there's lots of different questions going on, but there are four that I really feel like carry along kind of the narrative and the force of the story. Okay, and these are the four questions we're going to ask. I'll just introduce the first one, actually. Um, Is this, and it's in verse, uh, I've actually highlighted them in your reading right there. It's in verse 2, and it says, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Okay, you see, tonight we see a man who was, in fact, born blind. Um, His problem is worse than uh, us, if we can imagine being, needing glasses, or how many of y'all in here wear contacts? Is most of y'all, okay? How many of you feel like you can't see anything when you wake up in the morning without contacts? Some of you. This guy's problem was way worse. As I mentioned earlier, he had seen nothing for however many years of his life. He had been relegated to a life of begging, of asking others for everything he had. He was completely dependent, completely dependent on other people. Okay? At college, most of us are independent. We can do things for ourselves. We can think for ourselves. We're here so we can go out and earn a living for ourselves and maybe for a family one day. But this man had no such hope. He really didn't have much hope of getting married. He was not married. He couldn't provide for a family. He had nothing. And Jesus comes by him and pays him a visit. 
So the first question, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents? Um, this is a question that Jesus' disciples are asking. And there's actually a bigger question kind of behind this that they're asking without actually asking it. Okay? They're looking at this man born blind and saying the only question they're asking, the only question they know to ask. They're kind of making the cause and effect thing saying, look, some, something is wrong with this man. Clearly he's blind. He's been blind his whole life. What went wrong? And they kind of give two suggestions. They posit two ways out. And they say, Jesus, either he was born blind, either he sinned in his mother's womb, presumably he was born blind. So either he was so evil that he sinned in his mother's womb, or that his parents were so evil that somehow this cycle of sin carried on to their offspring. Okay, they give Jesus these two options. Um, We don't know how else he could have been born blind, they said. But I actually think there's a bigger question here that they're asking. And it's this. It's, um, what can account for this kind of problem? This utter, life-paralyzing, life-altering kind of problem. What can account for that? Who sinned? What's going on here, Jesus? By now, Jesus had claimed to be God many times. He had made a lot of people mad in doing so, but he has done that a lot. And so his disciples are looking at him saying, you can maybe help us with this. We don't know how to account for these kind of problems. Where does this fit in your system here tonight? How do you look at things around you in the world, at birth defects, at huge abnormalities in people's lives? Does your worldview and your way that you account for things have a way to account for things like that? I mean, really, it's a pretty serious question. Is it just chance? Is it um, just a statistical possibility and probability that something, someone will turn out this way one out of every 75? Or two out of every 212? What is it? Well, Jesus looks in his disciples and asks this very question, or answers this very question. He says, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now, this may seem like a pretty difficult answer for some of us. Because now Jesus has brought kind of God into the soup of this picture uh, in saying that actually God has a hand in some of this. That God is behind some of the difficult things that we see. Now, what I'm not saying is that God is the cause of these difficult things. And God is not the author of sin. God does not sin. But what I am saying is this. That we can't only relegate God to the happy, happy, joy, joy stuff. And we want to say that God is only love, and so we just kind of relegate Him to that portion of our minds and that portion of the world that, um, you know, God is only present when good things are happening. But Jesus here is kind of expanding our worldview, expanding our view of who God is and how we account for really difficult things in the world. And He says this, He says, look, God does things that we do not understand why they happen. We simply don't know. It is, to some level, futile to ask why. We can ask Him. We just may not always get the answer, and we certainly may not get the answer we want. But Jesus is saying, that so that God's glory might be shown in this. This man, at least this man right here, was born blind with this defect, had had it for some time, and as if his life was leading to this day, when he might be given sight, and that those around him might see it. 
Do you believe that? Do you believe that God is at work in the midst of very difficult situations? Or do you think that God just kind of pieces out in those times and leaves that stuff to just kind of the world, leaves it to us and the world to deal with? That's a really, that's another important question. Another important thing is you think about God, that where is he in the midst of suffering? Where is he in the midst of difficulty? Um, these are really important questions. They're questions that you need to think about if you're believing in God. Because something at some point in your life will happen that totally throws you off your rocker, that totally you don't know how to account for it. Uh, my wife and I, Sarah, we have uh, one little girl, Nora Klein, who we get to love and hug and who's now looking at us and saying, I love you, and all these sweet things, and it is wonderful. It's so wonderful. We have two little babies that we don't get to love and hug here on earth. They um, died in the womb. We miscarried twice. And it's hard. It's really hard. When these things come at you in life, and you simply don't know why. We, don't, we didn't know why. We don't know why now. But I can tell you this, and this isn't some thing that we just tell ourselves to kind of appease the, the, whatever's going on inside and the hurt. Guys, we have been able to talk to countless other people who, are, who have gone through miscarriages and who have gone through losing children. I mean, this has only been in the last three years for us, and I bet we've talked to tens and twenty of these people and couples. We've been able just to sit with them. And we, don't, we can't deliver them answers, but we can come to them with Scripture and say, look, I have no idea what's going on, but I know that God is good. We know that God is good, that He hasn't forgotten about you and He's in the midst of this. And that's in essence what Jesus is telling these people is like, look, I don't know. I'm not, he kind of doesn't even answer the question whether it's the man who sinned he says, it's not that, but it's so that God might display his works in him. Somehow God is going to get glory through the broken world around us. Somehow. Sometimes we get glimpses of that. Sometimes you see friends and you have friends who live just kind of these crazy lifestyles. And then they go off to college and they come back in Thanksgiving and talking to them and they've been converted. And they're now calling Jesus their Savior. It will happen if you're a freshman. These things happen. If you're a sophomore, they have happened maybe. Um, why the Lord let them go for 18 years and kind of live in foolishness and debauchery? I don't know. We don't know. But now those people, some of those people are going and paying tribute to the Lord who has saved them from the foolishness. We don't know that God is in the midst of it. Um, Doug Servan, my campus minister who I was talking about, says this. He says that God is at work in bringing light to the darkness, in healing people and in restoring them. You see, Jesus, in saying, as long as I'm here, I'm the light of the world, He's saying, I'm coming to bring hope. I'm coming into a dark place to bring a, a new way. Jesus is inaugurating, in His first coming, when Jesus came to earth, He was starting, and I say this all the time, but it's true, He was starting the recreation of all things. The undoing of sin. And He's pointing us forward, even today, we're still longing for it. He's pointing us forward to a world where all things will be right. Where people will not be born blind. Where babies will not be lost in the womb. Where there will be no more death, no more sadness, no more crying, no more hurts. Your hearts will not long anymore. They won't. This is the hope for the Christian. 
It is. And Jesus is calling them to that, saying, look, this is who I am. I'm the light of the world. Let's go down to the next question then. It says, after this man has been, uh, his sight has been restored, he's been given new life in a sense. People around him don't know what to do, and so they're asking, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Okay, y'all see that down there? Um, and so as we move on the story, we see this man kind of re-entering into society. This is something new for him. He had never done this before, right? He went to Salome. Uh, he's coming back, and he's seeing everything for the first time. Okay, imagine the first time he goes to uh, take his alms, his daily alms to the store to buy something, and instead of the cashier saying 5 and 10 and 15 makes 20, he's now looking down and seeing the guy's actually giving him ones, that he's been shortchanged his whole life, and that now he's knowing this for the first time. And he looks at the guy and he's like, what are you doing? That's not right. Gotcha. I can see you. Think of it. His whole world is different. Everything's changed for him, and he's so excited. He's so excited. Uh, there are a few people who we need to see uh, weren't <laughs> quite as excited. They really didn't know what to do with it. They didn't know what to do with him. He had changed. Some of y'all have gone through things where you change. You've taken a different course in life. People don't know what to do with you. Maybe you have broken up with a boyfriend or girlfriend for good reasons. And in doing so, you've cut off a whole section of friends that you have. And people don't know what to do with you now. And it's just awkward. Uh, maybe you've had parents who have um, disowned you or alienated you because of what, the things you say you believe now. And they don't know what to do with you. And it's difficult. And so it is with this man, as those around him didn't know what to do. His neighbors said, yeah, that's him. And others said, no, it's not him, but it's someone who looks just like him. And he's like, no, no, it's me. I am that man. I'm at, touch me. It's me. Let's look first at what his parents say. That kind of goes to the Pharisees and the parents back to the Pharisees. What did his parents say? His very parents. The ones who, uh, no doubt, some of y'all may have special need um, brothers, sisters in your own homes. You know that it is an all-consuming privilege to raise these children. You know that. You know that your identity all of a sudden becomes about what this child needs. And no doubt for these parents, whose whole lives had been consumed with taking care of this blind son, they're being, said, they're being asked now, who is this? Is this the one? Okay, is this him? And they say, yeah, it's him, but we don't know how he sees. We don't know how he sees. And John tells us, uh, kind of in his little parenthetical insert there, that um, these, these parents deflect the question, because in, if they would have answered, this man named Jesus is the one who gave him sight. If they would have said that, then they would in essence be confessing that Jesus is actually the Messiah. And the Pharisees, the teachers of the day, would have kicked them out of the synagogue. Now you may not be thinking that's a big deal. Get kicked out of a church, not that big of a deal. It was everything in that day and age. It was everything. And his parents knew that if they were to say... That is our son. And he's saying Jesus uh, made him, helped him see or gave him new sight. Then we believe him. But that's not what they said. Surely, as this guy went to his parents, he's like, Mom, Dad, you know, this is what I've told you. But they wouldn't even repeat what he said. Now, how would that have been? 
Think about for that guy as he sat there and the people who he loved the most, who had raised him, who had cared for him so long, now we're saying, I don't know if we can say this. I don't know if we can trust what you're saying. Either that or you're not worth us losing our face in society. It would be worse for us to lose our place in society on, on account of you. Some of y'all know what that feels like too. Who, some of you have parents who have in a sense uh, just set you on your own way. You weren't as important to them as their own social life. As their own friend circle. And they've given you over. They have let you be. And you feel it. You feel it intensely. And so their words, their I love you's, their I've missed you's, ring a little hollow. Because they simply were not there. They have not been there. And so you're probably feeling some of what this guy's feeling as he has left, as he's left to answer on his own. So they brought the man to the Pharisees, the teachers. Surely the religious teachers could help them kind of get through this situation. And as we know from weeks past, they've been so helpful thus far, right? <laughs> they've been really helpful. Not at all. They, um, they want to kill Jesus at this point. So we can't expect him to be a lot different. So they asked the man to recount how he could now see. He tells them about the spitballs. He tells them that, look, I don't know. <laughs> this guy, I, growing up, my brothers and I, we used to go to the, um, watch our dad play softball, uh, church softball leagues, and just dirt fields everywhere. And y'all remember those long pixie sticks? Like the long ones that are pretty, a lot of sugar, right? A lot of sugar. Well, we would sit there and we'd spit on the ground. Girls, tune out for a minute. Um, we'd spit on the ground. We'd have a pixie stick full of dirt at that point. We'd let off some, and it would go around the spit, and we'd make little balls, and we'd throw them at each other. It's just disgusting. Um, something so elementary, so debased, so gross, so Jesus, right? He does this thing that is so plain, so ordinary, so not over the top that it's over the top. That he takes all that he needs, he spits on the ground, makes like a little clay patty or eye patch or something, puts it on this guy's eye, says, hey, go to the waters, wash and you'll see. Uh, I have a friend from college who always says that there goes Jesus spitting on people again. Um, and it's kind of true. Jesus does these weird things like this and people get healed. Well... The Pharisees then, as they, as they hear him and they're coming to ask him, um, tell us why you see. They really, he starts explaining to them, saying, look, this is what happened. Uh, the mud balls, the sullen pool, all this stuff. But it's like they could care less about him, right? You see no concern, no happiness for this guy that, yeah, he's been blind for however many decades or whatever, but now he can see. They don't care. They're seeking every opportunity to drive a wedge between this crazy man named Jesus and the person who's claiming to be God. They're like, we know one thing, he's not God. We're going to take every chance we get. So they do it again here. Just throwing this guy, his new life, everything off to the side. How do they do it this time? They accuse Jesus of working on the Sabbath day. Okay, this is a little bit of a um, kind of Jewish history lesson at this point. The Sabbath day, God gave it as one of the commandments. It was supposed to be for our good. That we could rest from doing our normal work so that we could do things like worship. Um, so that we could go uh, do acts of mercy, see people in nursing homes, 
um, go and offer care to those who don't often get care. But what the Pharisees had done, what the teachers of that day had done, is they had heaped on law upon law. They added to the law like crazy. So much so that whatever Jesus was doing here, they declared that that was work. And that he was somehow violating what God wanted them to be doing on the Sabbath. So they're all over him for this. The law, you see, the law was the Pharisees' life. It was how they made their living. They were teachers of the law. And what this crazy man named Jesus was doing is he was getting all over their turf. And he was saying, no, look, I'm going to tell you what the law means. He had already told them that if you believed in Moses, you would believe in me. Moses was the writer of the law. So if you believed in Moses, you'd believe in me because Moses wrote about me. Okay, they protected the law with all they had. So when Jesus comes and does something with it, they were furious at him. Okay, before we let the Pharisees just uh, get the huge bad rap for this, we do this too, okay? We do this too. We have these things in our lives that our identity is all up in. We're so wrapped up in another person or our grades or our job prospect or our reputation or the circles that we run in or whatever it is. We're all wrapped up in this stuff so that if someone or something interferes with this, Girls, if you've got a boyfriend and you see some other girl talking to your boyfriend, what happens? Oh, what's she doing? Why is she talking to him? And we get jealous, crazy jealous. I used to do it all the time. It was saddening. It was terrible. I idolize relationships like crazy. So if you're in that position, let's talk. I can tell you, well, I can tell you at least a lot of stupid things I did. Um, guys, you do it too. You might have a girlfriend. Uh, you see another guy talking to her. What do you do? You want to kill him. You want to punch him. You want to do something. You want to at least figure out what he's saying. And so you go up, just kind of mean, oh, hey, what's up? And you somehow force him out of the conversation. And then you start talking to her about what were y'all talking about? Knowing that he was moving in on her. What is it that if something else moves in on that thing in your life that you start getting very mad very quick? We are Pharisees at heart. We have all these things that we don't like for other people to touch. In fact, we have a lot of things that we don't really want Jesus to come mess with. We really don't. We kind of don't want him to touch that area. We want to keep looking at pornography. We don't want him to come mess with that. It's a crutch. It makes me feel important. It makes me feel wanted and needed. Girls, you don't want to have to stop looking in the mirror. Because that's, what's, that's where your value is. It's in the way you look and the way you present yourself. You don't want Jesus to come and say, look, if you're in me, it's not about what you look like. Whatever it is, we have to know that Jesus comes not to, not to make us mad, although it may do that, but He comes because what He's saying is, look, all these other things that you've put your hope and your identity, the way you've built yourself up around the law that the Pharisees did, He's like, it's less than me. It can never heal you. It can never take care of you. It can never provide for you. It was never meant to. The Pharisees had eyes that could see. But they were blind in their hearts all day long. But this man, he knew one thing. 
He knew that he used to be blind, but now he can see. And he goes off rejoicing, and the Pharisees get madder, and they keep talking to him. The third question, down in verse 27, do you also want to become his disciples? I'm going to quickly reread verse 27 through 34. It says, do you also... Uh, he answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Interesting that this guy is now saying, he's identifying himself as a Jesus follower. He's calling himself, in a sense, a disciple. Because he's saying, do you also want to come and follow him? Okay? And they reviled him, saying, you're his disciples, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone who opened the, man, opened the eyes of a man born blind, if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. This man actually starts doing some like ninja-like logic on these Pharisees. He starts walking them through step by step of who Jesus is. And he just... He literally cripples their worldview in every word he says. They couldn't stand it. And he's saying that this man, this Jesus, could do nothing at all if he was not sent from God. This man is saying Jesus is the Messiah. He is the promised one. He is the one who is to come. He is. And is it no surprise then that he gets thrown out? The very, the very punishment they had threatened for his parents, this guy takes. He's thrown out of the synagogue. He's only a few hours into being accepted, kind of fully in the full range of Jewish life, and now he's thrown out. Because he dared to trust in Jesus. That this man who, I don't know, made him see, he said, I don't, I'm just saying that he made me see. And only someone who comes from God can do that. There's a fourth question shortly thereafter. The all-important question when Jesus comes back to this man. He says, do you believe in the Son of Man? Do you believe? Isn't it noteworthy when we read that this man who has only hours been restored to his sight is now sitting on the curb, probably sitting on the steps of the synagogue or the temple or wherever they were, lonely, utterly lonely. His parents had already sailed him down the river, sold him down the river. Um, his friends certainly, they, I don't know where they were, his neighbors, they were there early, maybe they weren't there now, but he's out by himself now. Isn't it huge to know that Jesus comes and finds him? He comes again and pursues this man, the one who has lost it all, who gained it all for a little bit and now has lost it all. There's Jesus. Jesus comes to him and says, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Son of Man is a phrase used by the prophet Daniel in chapter 7 of his book. If you, if you want to uh, do something cool, go home to write and read chapter 7 of Daniel. It talks about a Son of Man, and when this Son of Man would come, He would restore all things, and He'd inaugurate this new world, and He'd do all these great things. A lot of these things which Jesus has been doing. Jesus says, do you believe in the Son of Man? And this guy said, well, you know, if you tell me who He is, who is He? He's like, well, the one who's talking to you is the I am the Son of Man. I am God. He says, sir, I believe. Yes, I believe. And he fell down and worshipped. You want to know what? 
Have you ever thought Jesus is an egotist or whatever? Um, I want to challenge you in that thought assumption that God is some sort of egomaniac who needs people to worship him. You see, we struggle with that because if, we were, if someone were to come and fall at my feet or your feet and start, start worshiping you, it wouldn't be appropriate. It wouldn't. You'd be, you'd be embarrassed, like, what are you doing? That's weird. Stop. Um, but if someone comes and falls at Jesus' feet, if he's a mere man, it would be weird. But if he is the Son of God, it's appropriate. And he lets this man worship him. He lets him do it. Friends, faith in Moses, faith in the law, faith in whatever it is that gets you through is not enough. It's not. Jesus is coming and saying, do you believe in the Son of Man? Do you believe in me, in what I have done? These other things can't do it. Faith in Christ is the gospel. It is the good news, and this is why. That you're never too good that you don't need it. You can't be good enough to earn approval with God or a way to heaven or whatever. You can't. So stop trying. But here's the other half, is that you can't be too bad. You can't have done enough bad things that you don't, uh, you're, you're outside the reach of His mercy. You're not. You're not. Jesus comes for sinners, for broken people, people who are outcasts. And He loves, loves, loves to come and pursue those people. What is it that keeps you from faith in Jesus, which will ultimately lead you to worship Him like this man? Do you, are you doing too much good in your own life? Are you too good of a person? Is your life too together to really realize that you need Jesus? If you want to look at how much you need Jesus and how kind of your practical theology of Jesus and who He is to you, look at your worship of Him. Do you long to talk to Him in prayer? Do you long to be in church, singing to Him, hearing the Scriptures, praising Him? Do you? I mean, that, that would be the most uh, logical thing, progression of what a Jesus follower and lover does. Do you long for those things? Or do you think that um, you're uh, too bad? Do you think there's something that's keeping Jesus from coming to you? That you're too much not put together. You're too undone for Jesus to come to you. That's not true either. But are you so blinded by your self-pity and shame that you don't know how to come? You simply don't think that you could go to Jesus. You don't want to. Your self-pity and your shame has become your identity. And so you don't want to go to Jesus either. Friends, hear Him coming to you and saying, look, Get rid of that. You're putting your faith in your own self-pity and shame so that you can make yourself feel bad. Get rid of it. Throw it to the curb. He's coming to bring new life. He's coming to take your blindness and give you sight so that you might see the world as you're intended to see it. So He might give you new life. Belief is not easy. It is not easy. I've talked with so many of you about this. Faith in Christ is not easy. You will have doubts. But friends, do this doubt with others. Let them out loud. Because the more you just sit and question these things, the harder it's going to be. Our minds are scary places. Would you all agree? They're terrifying at times, right? Your emotions will deceive you 
in a heartbeat. You will feel both you will feel sane one minute and completely neurotic the next minute. Talk to others about your doubts. Talk to me about your doubts. Talk to me about how you don't know how to have faith. You want to, but you don't know how. I don't I don't claim to be any sort of expert at this. I know that I can look at scripture and we look at scripture together and see what Jesus says. And hopefully we can talk about it and get you going the right direction. But no. It profits us nothing at all if we remain blind in our hearts while claiming to see everything around us. Jesus is coming to set us free from that blindness. Do you believe Him? Do you have faith in Him and in nothing else? Let's pray. Jesus, would you come and... As you tell us in your word, open the eyes of our hearts. Would you come and reveal uh, yourself to us? Draw us cl- closer and closer. Convince us of the truth of the gospel again and again that we might worship you. I pray that we would be a people who long to worship. Who long to say thanks for all that you have given us, the many things you have done. The way that you have forgiven our sin and taken our sin upon you on the cross. I pray that we would be people who do that. If we don't yet know you, I pray that you would draw us in, that we would have faith for the first time. Would you do that? Would you do that? And anyone here's heart tonight who doesn't know you, we pray that you would. In Jesus' name, amen.